This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Thanks, Tim, for reading that, and good morning, everyone. Uh, those of you who are joining us online and all of you who are here in the room, um, yeah, I just want to be uh, one of the first to welcome you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben, and I serve here at Emmaus as our liturgy deacon on staff, um, so... It's nice to meet all of you, <laughs> although I do know most of you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, awkward introduction aside, this morning we are jumping back into 1 Corinthians in the concept of doing everything for the glory of God. Um, so last week, if you weren't here, Aaron walked us through chapter 7, and he kind of introduced this concept um, that we're going to see come to fruition next week in chapter 10. But it's this idea that as Christians, as, as those who follow Christ, we are to do everything to the glory of God. And so we've been kind of talking through what that means and what that looks like. Um, And specifically in these instances where, you know, so far in Corinthians, we've dealt with a lot of instances where there's been some really black and white sin. And I think part of what we're trying to address, this idea of doing things for the glory of God, is that sometimes we find ourselves in situations where there isn't necessarily a black or white sin issue that we're dealing with. Sometimes there are things that aren't inherently good or bad, and we're trying to decide what is the decision that's most glorifying to God in those instances. And Aaron gave us some really good questions uh, to consider last week as we think through things like that. Um, So here are the questions that he talked about. He said, does doing or not doing this thing lead to sin? Am I doing or not doing something out of dissatisfaction in the Lord? And does this thing divide my attention from the Lord or not? And those are some things that we, we asked you guys to consider as we think through doing things for the glory of God. Um, and we actually had a really good conversation around that in our gospel community last week. And I bring that up because Aaron kind of mentioned this last week, but um, today as we go into chapter 8, we're kind of introducing a new question, a question that, that we want to add to those questions he talked about last week. And really also, this question kind of gives us a new lens in how we consider those questions. So... Um, All those questions are great, and they help us consider our actions and our decisions and and how they affect um, ourselves. But there's a new question we have to ask that that Paul's kind of bringing into a new layer of that, and it's from chapter 8, and it's this. Am I considering others in doing or not doing this thing? I think oftentimes it's it's easy for us to to think about doing decisions and, and weighing what is the right decision to make, and I think a lot of times when we're doing that, we're considering ourselves. We're only considering how that affects myself or even just how does that affect my relationship with God as if our relationships with God are in this vacuum that only exists between us and him. And I think what Paul is getting into in addressing this issue uh, that he's gonna talk about in this chapter of food sacrifice to idols and what they are doing wrong is that they weren't just making decisions the considering themselves, they need to make decisions that also consider others in their community. And so that's what we're talking about. You know, if we look back at those questions that Aaron introduced, um, I think when we start to think about what it looks like to consider others as we make decisions in our lives, you know, maybe a new way to look at those questions are, is doing or not doing this thing lead to my sin, but can it also lead to someone else's sin? Am I doing or not doing something as dissatisfaction in the Lord in a way that's going to lead to someone else's dissatisfaction? Does this thing divide my attention and in doing so divide others' attentions away from the Lord? 
Um, you know, we, Aaron mentioned one of the things that helped him in his study last week was that one of the commentators said, a way that we glorify God is by fixing our eyes on him, by considering God in everything that we do. And I think what Paul is also introducing, that when we fix our eyes on God and consider him, it also calls us to consider others. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. So I wanna, um, just before we jump into the text, just pray, because um, I think we need the spirit at work to help us consider what that looks like. So would you pray with me? Father, we, we wanna recognize this morning, um, even as we prayed earlier in our prayer time, that your name is holy. And God, when we open up your word, we, um, we want to know what it is that you are revealing to us about your name, about your holiness, your character, and how it is that us as people who are called by your name should respond to your holiness. So God, help us through your spirit as we open your text to be convicted, to be convinced of our need to consider others. Um, So would you work uh, in this message this morning, even in spite of me, if need be, um, for us to consider what it is your word would have us do in light of your gospel. So, Jesus is in your name we pray, amen. So as we open this chapter, and if you haven't already, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter eight. I want us to think about this um, in kind of three ways. This idea that um, we need to acknowledge that not considering others is a problem. So you wanna see what's, what is the problem that Paul is talking about that keeps us from considering others. And then we're gonna kind of talk about why, why is that problem so serious? Why is it a serious thing? And what does Paul consider it to be so serious when we aren't considerate of others? And then I think Paul's gonna kind of sum that up by telling us the lengths that he's willing to go to consider others, to avoid not be considerate of others and making decisions that glorify God. Um, so that's kind of where we're going today. So uh, just starting in verse one, here's what he says. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So we're asking what the problem is. Um, According to Paul and this exhortation that he's giving them here, he's saying their problem is their knowledge. And I kind of love that all of us possess knowledge and knowledge are in quotes, because to me it feels like Paul's writing them with like, knowledge? And like big air quotes, which I'm sure Paul is not condescending because he's probably a nicer guy than I am. But um, I, just, I just think it's funny to think of it that way, to really let it sink in that it seems pretty clear when you read those quotes around that phrase and that word that right away you understand that the problem is that their knowledge is false, that he's telling them what you think is knowledge. It's what's leading to you being puffed up. What you think is knowledge that you possess leads you to not is actually leading you to not love others. And so that's what we're talking about, is that this, the problem um, and that he's going to apply to this issue of the food sacrificed to idols is that their knowledge is wrong. So let me explain. Paul, I think when, he, when he's talking about this knowledge, he isn't just talking about what they understand theologically. He's talking about the concept of, you know, as we've even gone through in other chapters in the Corinthians, is that he came to them with the knowledge of the gospel. Not just what we know about God, but what God has revealed to us in his son, Jesus, in the gospel. And I think the issue here is his knowledge 
is that if their knowledge of the gospel, if what they understand about what Paul brought to them in his message of the gospel leads them to pride, if the way that they interpret that leads them to self-righteousness and a sense that puffs them up, then they haven't understood (laughs) what it is that he came to talk to them about. There's nothing in the gospel, if you understand the gospel, that should lead you to pride. That is in our flesh, that is in our sin. The gospel leads us to love, love that, as he says, builds up. And I think another word we could use for builds up, um, it's kind of churchy, and you find in other letters in the Bible, is the word edification. And it's the idea that um, part of what it means to be in community is to build others up, to edify them, in the sense that our love is an advantage, is a benefit to those in our community, not just to ourselves. And I think that's what Paul's calling them out here for. And so I want to say that the problem is this, that knowledge that doesn't lead to building up others isn't real knowledge. If your knowledge does not lead to you to building up others in the body, there's a good chance you don't understand the gospel. So as Calvin, John Calvin puts it, he says that our knowledge needs to be seasoned with love. If we make decisions, if we're trying to think about how it is to glorify God in our decision-making, and we can make that decision without any consideration for someone else, can we really say it's a good decision? If we can make decisions without the consideration of how that could build somebody else up and not just ourselves, there's a chance that we are missing the gospel. This is what Paul says in verse two. He says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And that verse makes me think about Jesus and he's teaching on the Sermon of the Mount. And in Matthew chapter seven, he, at the end of there, he's talking about this illustration that trees are known by their fruit, that good trees produce good fruit and that bad trees produce bad fruit. Bad trees don't produce good fruit. That doesn't make any sense. And, I, and he follows that up with saying, look, there are gonna be people that will call out my name. They'll say, Lord, Lord. And, those, and there are people that will call out my name that will do things in my name, casting out demons, doing miracles, preaching the word. And he says that there are people doing that that won't enter my kingdom. He says there are people that are, that are proclaiming that they're doing things to my glory that aren't, that aren't really doing them for my glory. And this is his response to them. Matthew seven twenty three. he says this. He says, I will then declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think that's what Paul is kind of getting at here. If we are doing things that we say are to God's glory, that aren't in the mind frame, in the the sense of thinking about how our decisions affect others, if they build others up or not, then I think what he's saying is you are declaring and doing things in my name that aren't true love of me that you've missed something in my gospel that is not consistent with the love that I have given to you. And therefore, I don't know you. If you don't love me, are you a part of my family? Do you, do you understand what it is that I'm trying to do <laughs> in my kingdom? Probably not. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here with the Corinthians. If you truly say you're a family of believers and you aren't considerate of others in your actions and your choices, and what he kind of gets into, and the specific thing of food sacrificed to idols, partaking in it. If you can make those decisions without the consideration of your family, 
there's a good chance you don't understand what Jesus is trying to do to build his family and are therefore not really part of it. If you don't have a love for God, you don't really know what he's after. So, I was thinking of how I could illustrate this idea. Um, Because I think that there are, you know, like in in Matthew 7, there are things that, that we do that you could say just by looking at them are glorifying to God. And I was thinking about my own life and that and just processing this passage. And I, I think one thing that kind of came up was the idea of my work-life balance, um, which is something that we all <laughs> have to think about in this room. Um, and, you know, I was thinking, uh, so I came on staff to Emmaus in October. So I haven't been on staff very long. Um, but leading up to that, since we moved here about four and a half years ago, I've been serving at Emmaus as a volunteer um, and doing a lot of things and, and even leading teams that I'm leading now as a volunteer. And when I, and I think about that, like the idea that I've been able to come on staff, it really excites me that I've been able to give more of my time and, and do more things for Emmaus that I wasn't able to do before as a volunteer. Um, and and I, I treasure that season because I think that it, it gave me an, an understanding of, of what it is for anyone else who's not on staff <laughs> to give up their time and their talents to Emmaus. And I was thinking about that, and I, I think that none of you would say that me being able to give more of my time and my talent to the church is a bad thing that isn't glorifying to God. I don't think any of you would argue that against me. Um, if you can, we can talk later. <laughs> I'm, I always welcome criticism, uh, for the most part. Um, yeah, just don't be mean. Um, but I was thinking about that, and... You know, I think, yes, I, there are often times where I would even consider, you know, the things that I'm doing is glorifying to God. But I think there are moments when that good thing can become a bad thing. And I, and I think about work-life balance, and I think, um, is it still glorifying to God if the things that I do for Emmaus and the things I do in my work take away from my consideration of my wife and my child? If I'm, if I'm doing things and I have my head kind of in the sand and, and working through something for Emmaus and I don't consider what Sarah's going through at home with our daughter and trying to do things around the house and things like that, is it still glorifying to God for me to do things even for the church without consideration of my wife and my family? Um, you know, I've had to think about that. If, you know, if, I, if I'm working on a project for Emmaus and I come home and Sarah's drowning in, in things at the home, trying to get dinner ready, or even if I come home for, for 10 minutes before I go to the next thing. <laughs> you know, how helpful and how considerate is that? And I think that's um, something that kind of illustrates the problem that Paul is getting at here, is that I can convince myself that it's really good for me to serve Emmaus and give as much as possible and get to that line of how much is too much as fast as possible. But if my knowledge of, of considering serving Emmaus uh, is glorifying to God and I haven't considered my wife and how much I'm giving of my time and my talents in a way that's detrimental to my life at home, then it's no longer glorifying to God. That my knowledge is actually of, of me feeling like my service to Emmaus is good has brought me to a place of puffed up and, is, and can bring me to a place of not building up my family at home, my first priority. 
And so that's what the problem is, that we need to consider that um, there's a good chance that things that we consider as glorifying to God are no longer glorifying when they aren't in consideration of others. And so we need to understand why that's such a serious problem. And that's what Paul is going to illustrate next when, he's talk, when he uses this example of the food. So take a look at verse 4. It says, Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although they may be called so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and lords, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. I think this, as I was reading through this passage, uh, this section kind of caught me off guard, because it seems, if we're kind of understanding what the problem is and that Paul is addressing a problem, it seems kind of weird that he is kind of and these couple of verses, kind of giving them a pat on the back for their logic. Like he just rebuked them for not having good knowledge of the gospel. And then he's saying, you know, I mean, he's basically saying like, look, it's actually a good thing that you realize that idols mean nothing, that they have no real existence. It's really good that you would know that because you know that there is only one God, that our God has been revealed to us through our Lord Jesus Christ, and that there's no possible way for something that we make from created things, that we could somehow assign spiritual and cosmic power to it and call an idol a God. We just know that's not possible because God is the only one through whom things exist. Um, and he's kind of patting them on the back. And this is really silly, but I kind of imagine them like getting to this part in the letter and just like growing out and like giving each other high fives and like, yeah, like we did something right and getting excited. And I just see Paul sitting in a dimly lit corner and giving them the slow clap because he's about to drop a pretty big truth bomb on them in verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food is really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? This is why it is a serious matter that our decisions are seasoned with love. If you make decisions just considering yourself, just based off of what you know, what's good for you, your actions can lead others to sin. Paul's telling them that, yeah, your knowledge of idols is good, great. But if you use that knowledge, if you use your liberty of that knowledge to do something that's gonna lead someone else to sin, to create a stumbling block between their understanding of Christ then how is it a good thing? And this, pretty, this struck me pretty good. And I, I told my gospel community on Wednesday that I feel like this passage has really made me have to confront the ways that my faith and my decision-making have been marked by my individualism. 
and how the culture around me has, has shaped some of that. I found myself asking, why am I, why am I so concerned when I think about my decisions and only considering myself? Why, why am I so concerned with really the edification, the building up of myself and my path moving forward than considering how those things build up other people? And I, you know, I think it's, it's sometimes a trademark, and I, maybe this is for you too, but I think sometimes when I'm given an inch of, some, of a good thing, I want to take it a mile. <laughs> um, I don't know if any of you resonate with that, but I think we just, I think we lack consideration of others because we just honestly get really excited to consider ourselves because <laughs> that's what the culture has taught. We've, we've been taught to consume and to individualize everything that we consider in our lives. And I think when we are, are marked by decisions that aren't considerate of others, we have let our culture and the world around us become our source for our decision-making and not the gospel. You know, I think Paul's saying, did you even consider what it might do to others to see someone who says they follow Jesus hanging out in a pagan temple? He's like, yeah, like the food, the food thing is one thing, but it's like, why would you put yourself in that situation to begin with? To have fellowship with those people. Like here's an extreme example that is really silly. What, say that I took a friend out to, to get lunch. I said, hey, like, you're having a hard week. Let me take you to lunch. I'm like, where do you want to go? And they're like, oh, I would just love, like, a breakfast buffet. I can't get enough of breakfast buffets. I'm like, okay, breakfast buffet, got it. And we get in the car, and we start driving, and I pull up to a strip club. <laughs> and they're like, wait, I thought we were going to a breakfast buffet. I was like, yeah, they got the best cakes in town, man. And we, and we walk into the strip club, and it's like, wait, why, like, we shouldn't like be going to a strip club and like looking at scriptures. We go to church. Like we're Christians. We believe that's not great. You know, objective find women is wrong. And I say, well, I'm not here for the strippers. I'm here for the, the pancakes and the bacon. <laughs> like that is super ridiculous. And I actually don't even know if strip clubs have buffets. But <laughs> the point is that that's kind of what Paul is saying. He's like, why? Like you're con- we're talking about me, and we're concerned about food being sacrificed to idols, and somehow in your knowledge you found a way around the fact that you are going to pagan temples where very unsavory things happen, <laughs> and you're, you've somehow justified that it's okay to do that, and you've totally disregarded what that action might do to cause someone else to do something in their faith, to do something in sin that they would have never considered otherwise if you hadn't done that thing. And this is the part that really stings. So he says in verse 11, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. I think it's one thing for us to have a lack of considering others or trying to make decisions. It's one thing to say that we have an issue with only considering ourselves. But how often do we think about our decisions, our, our sin against our brother or sister, and the possibility that, that we could cause them to sin as against Christ? 
When we, when we see our decisions, when we see our relationship with God in a vacuum without considering the fact that in community, that in Christ, we are connected to all of the family of Christ, all those who are in Christ, that our decisions affect them, that we have to consider them when we're seeking to glorify God. There is no sin against another person that is not against God. Our sin is first and foremost against Christ. And when we sin against our brother and sister, when we would cause their conscience to be weak, to put stumbling blocks in between them and their Lord, Jesus, we are sinning against someone for whom Christ died. We already talked about this in 1 Corinthians, that you were bought with a price. But it wasn't just you that was bought with a price. It was your brother and your sister too. And when we make decisions without considering others, in some sense, we're making a mockery of the price that Christ paid for that person. Does that problem not feel serious when you consider that? Let me put it this way. Looking back at my example of considering my wife and my child, it's one thing for me to not just be considerate of Sarah and Mava. And, and to use the excuse of serving the church as a way to not consider them. But what if I think, when I make those decisions, I think about the fact that, that my not being present at home or Sarah struggling with something at home could cause her to sin, could cause her to be dissatisfied with God because she wants something from me in that moment that only Christ can give. What if that causes her attention to be divided in the gospel and to be concentrated on her own bitterness or whatever feeling that I've caused in the way that I've wronged her. This problem is serious because I, I don't think when we consider others, we're thinking about that. That, we're liter- that when we don't consider others and we make decisions, we literally can put stumbling blocks, we can put obstacles in the way of them enjoying God obstacles in the way of Sarah or anyone else having more peace and joy and love in Christ. And I I understand that all of us have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility to our faith and to our own sanctification. But why would I want to do anything to make that harder (laughs) for anyone else? I know how hard it is for me. Why would I do something without considering it being made hard for someone else? I think that what Paul's getting at here the decisions that we make that aren't considerate of others, that aren't made with the idea of their edification and building them up, we aren't just wronging them, we're wronging Christ. That's something we need to consider. So how far should we go to avoid that? None of us want that. I don't think anyone in this room is like, yeah, stumbling block, schmumbling block. So, so what is Paul saying? What does Paul say the length that we should go to to avoid this problem and the gravity of it? Verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And I want us to be careful with this verse because I, I don't think what he's saying is that 
Um, in light of this situation in Corinth, I'm never going to eat meat again. <laughs> but he's now a vegetarian. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. And I think there's been times uh, that this, this passage in the scripture has been used um, to justify um, going to really extreme lengths and abstinence and, and other things. Um, and I, I don't think that's really what he's saying. I, I think what Paul's getting at here is that is the length that I'm willing to go to to avoid being a stumbling block to my brother or sister. He's saying, if, if I knew that not eating meat ever again is the most edifying thing I could do for someone else, I will do that thing. And I feel like that's um, something that I'm not often willing to do. <laughs> I'm not often willing to give up my liberty on something that's not necessarily a good or bad thing if I could avoid stumbling somebody else. I just think that's very contrary to how <laughs> most of us live um, because that's not what our heart desires. Our heart desires for us to get what we want and when we can get it. And this is, and this is how Paul in another letter to the church, he, he demonstrates the links. He demonstrates this is the pattern of how you should consider others. So in Philippians 2, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ, like Paul talked about earlier in this letter, is a mind of humility, is a mind of counting others higher than yourself. How many of us, when we, we think about decisions that we need to make, and we don't know which decision to make, are we considering taking the road that is to our disadvantage? that is to the interest of somebody else, not to ourself. How often are we making decisions that feel like it's between two good decisions? Do we pick the good decision or even consider amongst those decisions? Is there something that I can do for some, that as to the benefit of somebody else in this situation and not only to the benefit of myself? To have the mind of Christ is to have humility when we think about giving God glory. And this is what he says is Christ's posture. In verse six of Philippians two, he says, who through, he, as though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Amen. Amen. And because of that humility, this is what happened. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. If we want to know what it looks like to give God glory in every decision, not just when it comes down to avoiding sin, (laughs) even in our decisions that aren't inherently dealing with good or bad things, the most glorious thing we could ever do is to have the mind of Christ, to look like Christ, to take the posture of humility that is displayed in Christ. What would it have looked like for us if Jesus, considering his equality with God, decided that it wasn't worth coming down for us, that we were too far gone? We'd be in a lot of trouble. (laughs) But Jesus didn't count his equality with God a thing to be grasped. In fact, he emptied himself. In fact, he looked to not to his own interest, but to ours. Jesus didn't need to do what he did for us, but he considered us. The decision that he made was in consideration of us. He had everything he needed already. We've been talking a lot about things that we should avoid. We've been talking a lot about considering questions and, and looking to, to ways to consider others and to build others up. And that's good. And, and everything that we've been talking about today, I think, is good for us to consider. But I don't want us, I don't want us to, to leave here this morning thinking that if Aaron or I or anyone else gives you a list of questions and a list of things to do, that, that that's enough. That somehow, if we could just learn and, and practice asking the right questions and practice considering others, that somehow we are going to build our own righteousness. So I have one last question for us, and that's this. What's the good news? What's the good news? Because I think when we read this passage and we consider the weight of the problem of not considering others and its seriousness, and we see the links that Paul's willing to go to and what he calls us to do in Philippians, and even considering what Christ has done for us, I think there's a tendency for us to feel crushed under the weight of not knowing if you can actually do those things or not. That, you know, we all desperately want to consider others, but we don't always. That's just the reality of living in an already but not yet world of redemption. So what's the good news? (laughs) The good news is that Christ considers you. When I fail to love my wife well, when I fail to consider how serving at Emmaus might affect her, when I fail to consider any of you as my church family and decisions that I'm making in my life, even when I fail at those things, Christ considers me. Christ considers you. Even when I'm not considerate of you, Christ considers you significant. Significant enough to go to death 
for you, even death on a cross. Emmaus, the good news is that through Christ's death and his resurrection, we have the gift of his spirit. Like we've been talking about in this series, because of his spirit, we can actually be transformed into Christ. He gives us that gift of refinement. He gives us that gift of the edification of building up our faith. That even when we aren't considering others, his grace and his mercy is still at work in you and me to make us more like him. That his spirit gives us the gift to consider others. That even when we don't, we can still try. (laughs) We can still have that mind. We should still ask those questions. We should still think about how our decisions consider others. We should still be willing to put ourselves at a disadvantage if it would be to the advantage of our church family or our spouse or GC or anyone else in our life. We can be willing to do those things, but even when we aren't, even when we fail, Jesus is good. Jesus has you in mind. His love for you never fails even when ours for each other does. So this morning, Amos, I hope that, that, I hope that that's good news to you. I hope that we can leave here this morning not feeling the weight of our need for self-righteousness, but that we could rest in Christ's. Because that's the good news. That Christ considers us. So would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you for the news of your love, for your gospel, that while we were in sin, you died for us. Jesus, that you bought us with a price, that if we're honest, a lot of us would be unwilling or unable to pay for each other, but you did that for us because you considered us Because even in your right, even in your equality with God, you didn't count it a thing to be grasped, but you lowered yourself to be with us, to walk among us, to live a life that was only considerate of those around you. That your your priority was not to be served, but to serve, to build up your church, those you love that we would be able to fix our eyes on you in love and know that we are known by you because of your son. God, would you make us more like Jesus this morning? Would we consider your wisdom, your spirit over the wisdom of the world? God, help us keep our hearts in tuned with your grace. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.